UtilityMuffinLabs.com is the source for podcasts like 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, the NerdWords podcast, and the Playing Hooky podcast, to name a few. We offer gaming, music, and pop culture content, as well as graphic and audio design, voice talent, and more. Go to UtilityMuffinLabs.com to commission us for your audio needs, digital artwork, and advertising opportunities. UtilityMuffinLabs.com, consistently rated as... This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast, brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to the Dark Ages. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan. Meow, and I'm Bob. Uh, welcome to this podcast. What are we reviewing today, Bob? Wolves of the Sea. A wow. source book for Vampire the Dark Ages. Uh, yeah, so Wolves of the Sea. Um, this is a book that, uh, this is the first time I ever cracked this book. Surprisingly, I don't know how this is the first time I ever read this book. But <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's an easy review. We'll just put it that way. I, uh, I'm baffled that you've never read this book, considering you lived the principles of this book your whole life. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> These, uh, definitely, it's here. I mean, I know I certainly have. Um, it's, oh, I, we'll get to that, I suppose. I was just I, uh, pointing I, it out. I am not a pillager. I don't know what you're talking about. First off, um, we're all pillagers to a degree. Ever <laughs> rush to the front of the line to make sure that you get it, but no one else did? Pillage. <laughs> right? No, I've always been open, kind, and eager to share. I haven't. Um, I'd like to. Say, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lie. I won't front. Um, I'm nice enough, but I mean, uh, let's put it this way: if it's brisket and you're in my way, that's true. That's true. It's brisket. I mean, it's just the way it is. That's um, true. That I can attest to personally. I've seen you slaughter the innocent for brisket. You know, it's uh, it's the shrooms I take on five for or my six war prowess. Five or six occasions, just slaughter of the innocents. You know, <laughs> Bob arrives on shore in a boat, and before you know it. Small families in Texas are dead, and he has brisket. I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> it's the, only, the, only, the only way they could save themselves is if they offered it up on a platter in worship. Yeah, right. Right? Just <laughs> brisket, Bob. You know, and it's never okay, you know. Or so, they asked me to go for a swim in the moon pool. Either so, <laughs> way, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. So let's talk a little bit about um, what the advantage that this book has over a lot of other similar books right off the bat. Uh, maybe it's just an advantage, I think. Um, but this very first introductory chapter, we've read a lot of books, a lot of, yep. of source material, a lot of, um, you know, fluff for this game. And often, quite often, the introductory chapter is garbage. Uh, it is like, oh, this is this book. This is how you use this. Go read other stuff. And this book is like that, too. However, this book gives you a ton of stuff right at the beginning that is specifically imperative for you to understand the rest of the material, which is what you do in an introduction. I, I do agree. I want to point out, though, is that this does feel like you're actually doing research at this point, which I think all the books should have done. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the most important part about running a game in a period uh, or in a specific location is doing some research. And I don't know how much research they did when they read this book or wrote this book, rather, but they've done more than I did about this era. So awesome. 
Um, the first thing, the pronunciation, because I've just been pronouncing these things wrong my whole life. I didn't know how these symbols, the, the D with the line through it or whatever, how they were pronounced. It's not going to get any different on this podcast. No, no, no. I just it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely not. I'm not going to make an effort. <laughs> you get the pronunciation and then they go through the lexicon, right? And then like, first of all, people probably don't even know what Wolves of the Sea is, right? Because the, the name is not super descriptive. You'd be shocked at how popular this book is over any other book. Every Kane bro worth his salt knows what this book is. Every Gangrel fan absolutely knows what this book is. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's ever referred to like C. Uh, Gangrel typically refers to this book incorrectly because there were, you know, there's there's one gift in here, Fenro Talents. And you it know, seemed, for whatever reason, the only thing that sticks out in people's minds are right. powers. I actually thought this book, before we read it, before um, I kind of looked into it a little bit, I actually thought it was a Gangrel book. I thought specifically it was a Gangrel book and not like a, a book about Nordic culture and Viking culture in the vampiric sense. I didn't know it was like everybody not just gangrel so yeah i i was i was illuminated as well well you should be you know forgiven easily because a lot of the gangrel culture from their books we've read all the gangrel like the 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 books written about gangrel we've read them Mm -hmm. and this is another one added to the fire so to speak however you could see from this culture that's also in the gangrel clan book right right specifically when they talk about things and all things right right it'll stick right out in your head um that's that's where they get it from just saying (laughs) And I was uh, reading through this book. This also had the, I don't know if this is the first occasion of of us encountering this, but it was definitely one that stuck out that they even gave internet resources. So we can kind of see where like the internet is becoming a factor in gaming and books being released. And I actually went through and I checked the first three uh, links. And of course, the members.aol.com sites don't work anymore. So save yourself the effort. <laughs> Did you see the product placement in this book as well? No. If you look under Nor, K-N-O-R-R. Oh, like the soup? No, no. It's it's Nor is there. It's it, That refers to an actual <laughs> longship larger than a Drakkar. <laughs> right. Otherwise known as Drakkar Nor. Hmm? <laughs> Hmm? That's the dorkiest shit I've ever heard you just, say. <laughs> I'm just saying. There it is. It stuck out in my head. I was like, wonder where they got that name for the interesting cologne people throw and bathe themselves in. Right yeah. there. Right. Well, I mean, how else would you be a badass besides drenching yourself in terrible cologne? They were subtly telling you, go out and conquer the world, Drakkar Noor. Right. 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 Uh, yes, they were. That's that's exactly what they had in mind. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the last thing that you'll find in this first chapter is a Viking era timeline. Basically, not to get too mired in the history, but we're kind of out of the Viking era once we hit Dark Ages. Right. right. We've already the 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 Scandinavian culture, the Viking era is essentially up. Because the, you know, the northern people have been converted to Christianity by this point. I think by like 1000 AD, pretty much everybody's converted to Christianity. I'd like to say they're tricked into Christianity, but that's, that's, that's right. Conversion and trickery are, you know, branches on the same tree. Anyways, that's a different story for a different uh, podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> moving right along, we get right into that, the very first chapter which is Viking culture. So Viking culture, we know the whole world knows about it. You have the show Vikings. Right. has demonstrated exactly what you're going to see in this book. This book will tell you no different uh, than that show will demonstrate as you watch it. Can you watch that show and get the gist of this book? Actually, you can. I think I mean, uh, 
Yeah, I, I was going to agree with you because I think I think even watching a show like that, looking at the stories that are involved there and sort of, you know, the multi-layered writing for television, I, I think would make for an easy transition into a Dark Ages style game, for sure. But for those who haven't seen that show, for those who are just more book-centric, um, you had to have heard of Viking at some point. I heard right. of it in junior high. I've heard it in high school. You know, and I was in, I was in a southern school system at that point. And uh, well, I'm, I'm just going to put it this way. They lost the war, didn't have the best tech for school systems at that point. <laughs> North always had better. When they tell you of the Viking War then, they just tell you the Vikings went out and uh, they just dominated places to raid them, take their goods and go home and, and rape women and uh, come back with slaves. And, right. and that's it. So basically, if you're from Scandinavia, um, Norway, Sweden, those places, you do nothing but rape and pillage. And uh, nobody believes that Sweden's filled with nice people and nobody believes that you, you know, that's what it is because... I feel I've been in the dark ages <laughs> related to a lot of that until I started, you know, explore your world and get to know it a little better. But mm-hmm. I have completely went off the mark. But uh, the Viking warrior, the mindset, the typical Viking warrior that history is going to kind of throw at you is just that description. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't really get into why unless you look into it. Right. Right. Because typically, what you, what you got to understand, uh, that's a hard place, Scandinavia, to live in. And they yeah. go into that first to describe why the Vikings do what they do. And think about it. Vikings, they're, they're farmers. They're people trying to live off the land. But you can't really live off the land right. the way typical, better better areas are. And they know this. They're, they're people who are there on this frozen landscape uh, for a large part of the, the season. And if there's any arable land that you could use for farming, it's few and far between. And it's super important. So... They believe in also personal ownership, and what I mean by that is, if I go to go if I go to go to Nate's place and he has five acres of, of farmland, and I'm like, hey, we you should share that. Uh, he's free to tell me to just buy. Yeah, you know? it's it's definitely um, very. It's it's much more the culture here at this time is much more capitalistic than the rest of Europe proper. Europe proper at this time is still all kings and queens and royalty and nobility. And so you don't own the land. You are a serf. You serve under a king. That king or that baron or whatever insert title here is the one that owns that. You in a sense in a sense are property as well. One thing that they establish here that I didn't know uh, because I I haven't done a lot of you know historical exploration into like Scandinavian culture or the the Viking era is that wherever there's a place where stuff is being sold you're going to find these folks selling and buying stuff because they do have that property that mindset of ownership right and the the ownership that I'm I'm specifically getting to is the fact that in history you're going to find that if there is a large tract of land that you have and no one else does and the local people want to band together, like in that scenario, they want to come to Nate and say, hey, mm-hmm. you need to slice this up because we're the majority. We could just kill you and take it, or you can work with us to have it. Right. The Vikings really didn't do that. If you walked up and Nate had the land, ah, well, that's his land. Right. <laughs> that was kind of the mindset, you know, and they were like, well, we have to go find ours. Because, and, and that comes from their system of a sense of honor. Right. Right. And that is, that's his. And no matter what my hardship is, it's up to me, the individual, to go out and change my fortune. Right. It's not it's not up to me to cause hardship with with Nate because he has farmland. I, I can ask Nate, hey, do you know a direction where you saw some other farmland? Nate can point. Or he might be cool and say, tell you what, um, you agree to be a part of my war band, you can get an acre. 
kind mm-hmm. of build up a hut right over there right. and you could work it out. We'll figure it out. And that's and that's all doable and that's all great, but it's not what you're typically used to. Here's why. If we're in Rome, for or we'll just say Italy somewhere, right? We'll just wherever it's good to farm. And we have all this land that we could use. Uh, the majority of the people come there, the majority of the people need a governing system. And a lot of your farmers, workers, they're not the violent type. Right. They're just not. They don't have a sense of honor. They have a sense of working the land, and it's mine because I grew it, and I would like to have more wealth and all that. It's just a different way of being. But they're not freezing to death out there in that land either. Right? I mean, how cold does it get in Scandinavia? I'll put it to you this way. The Vikings in their day, they have to take their their uh, livestock and bring them inside. <laughs> right. Or they'll freeze to death. And after winter's over, they have to carry them. Yeah. Back out because the animal's so weak. And and yeah, that's that's definitely something that they, they they kind of drive home here, but also it has an effect on the group of individuals that this book is about, which are the canites, which is not what they call them. Well just just to hammer it home, it's basically the spirits of the slain warriors in Valhalla. That's what the Ironhar are. Right. And uh they're they're the ones who will fight at Ragnarok. However, when you see some of these Scandinavian vampires come back, they style themselves as Einhard, they manipulate their way into this mythology. It's not that they were just, oh, you're a vampire, you're an Einhard, welcome. That's not enough. They have to come back and pretend to be part of this Einhard group. They had to they'd adapt to the myth, which they admit, very easy for a canine to do, because what do the Vikings respect above all? Power. Personal mm-hmm. power, personal glory. Right? That's that's what you that's what they raid for. That's what they go out and get for. That's that's what you live for, because if you die in battle. You get to go to Valhalla, head held high, and everything else to sit amongst the gods and war all day and hunt all day, you know, drink all night. That's that's your reward. Um, otherwise, it's going to be boring as you go to Hades drinking dust out of cups, right? Just emptied right. things, like a basically boring afterlife. Right. YouTube says it's pronounced in Heriar. So hopefully that's vaguely correct, but that's not that's not really a word we have in our language. My, my whole life I pronounced an Ironar, and if that's not the way it's pronounced, I like it. I yeah, so I, gonna, I always pronounce it Einharger. I I don't know. I just pronounce it how it looks. So I'll make a deal because I get sick to death talking about we're mispronouncing words all the mm-hmm, time. If you right. listen to this podcast, you know what book we're coming out of. You know what we're talking about. If you're from these regions and you know how to speak it, offer to teach us the language. Right. And we'll and we'll do it the, the correct way because then we know it. But if right. we don't, we got to go with what's comfortable. And truth be told, if I'm sitting at a table with Bob running a game and I say the word in a shitty, incorrect way, and Bob knows it in a shitty, incorrect way, we have accomplished our goal of communication. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it is what it is. We try right. our best. But but basically, um, you know, there's plenty of resources that you can use to research your game before you run it and pronounce it correctly, you know. We're just, we're learning these words like you are. Well, we went over the base part, right? We get right. that, um, you know, the Norse, they right. they farm, right? Or try to, if they can't farm and they can't get the essentials, this is why they go a Viking. Right. Right? They had they have to. They had to learn to build a boat, hop in that boat, and go take what they couldn't grow from their land. And what's cool about this, they don't abandon their land. That's what baffled me, mm-hmm. right? It's for, for those that, I mean, for folks that don't know, they, they're still there. They've always been there as far as we know, and they're still there. Right. Right? And they just they just spread out. Like, it's it's okay to spread out, but we're not leaving what's ours. Whereas, back in the day, you, you had a very uh, nomadic lifestyle amongst cultures that if this place sucks to live at, and we can't get the land to do what we needed to do, we up and leave to where it's better. Mm-hmm. Right? That was just survival there. They're, they're very, um, I gotta say it, powerful. 
even right. to read about. Because to sit there and say the gods gifted us this land, this is our land, and it would be admitting weakness to abandon it. Right. So, however, we can better ourselves. We could do this by going and taking from the weak and bringing it back to us or die trying, which is essentially what they do. Right? I mean, it's, it's all over. Their timeline will show you numerous raids, especially to poor England monasteries and whatnot. Right. And, and, and come home. Now, a note about that. As badass as it is, I have one more harsh thing they talk about in this book. Um, and it's called that of exposure, right? Mm-hmm. It's a section where they mention that if you have a malformed child or, you know, somehow disabled child, yep. they would leave you out on the snow and ice to die of exposure. They just did it. And a lot of people, when they hear of this in a history class or whatever, they're like, oh, man, these guys are like sub- like crazy and human. No, not at all. No, it was pretty common historically for that sort of behavior. Like multiple cultures, especially warrior-like cultures, did this because nobody wars all the time because it's cool, right? right. They right. they they feel as a culture there's a need for it. That's why they do it. Now, two outsiders looking in, fine, make your judgments, but it hammers home how it was just as think about it. You're a you're a proud warrior, uh, mother or father, because that's how their society was. There were there were badass women as there were badass men amongst the Vikings, and you have a child. And this child is just, it's not going to make it. And right there, they hand the child to the father and said, make a choice. Right. You're keeping it or not. Don't think for a second it was easy for that father and that mother to to march this child outside and leave it in the snow. Right. After all they went through to have that child. And why I got to hammer this home is because you do a disservice to a culture to sit there and believe, oh, they just, you know, they're bashing him in the head and rocks to Odin. (laughs) You know, right. they're putting their baby's blood and their drinking horns and mixing it with mead and down in it and saying, yeah. better look next time. I mean, certainly, no. certainly it is a brutal culture, um, especially before the conversion to Christianity. It's a brutal culture, but I mean, it's a culture very similar to many other cultures from around the world. Um, let me ask you a question, because um, we, we rarely ever talk about these books before we get on here and review them. What were your thoughts about the Blood Eagle? Well, the Blood Eagle is awesome. Um, when we talk, you say brutal. Right, mm-hmm. I, I disagree with with the term that they were a brutal culture. Um, they're they're circumstantial yeah. for a lot of what they do, right? And that's not. I'm not saying Nate, you're wrong. I'm saying mm-hmm. that I get why one can call them brutal. But when you dig deeper and you look at it, most of the time they, they don't Viking all the time. They're not raiding all the time. Mm-hmm. And but they're right. smart. That's, that's very true. Because they they're not choosing armies to to ransack and go after. They're choosing places that seem to have riches. That right. seem to have an abundance, farmland, whatever, to get what they need for survival to continue. Right. And to me, that's not brutal. That's smart. Right? Right. And it, allow, it allowed them to prosper and do what they do. Now, to be fair, Vikings are also responsible for kind of updating mm-hmm. the rest of the world. The places they raided had to quickly figure it out. Right. Right? Right. Because uh, you're being raided from nowhere by these, these as far as they were concerned, these these demons from the boats. Right. Were jumping off and just killing everybody. Well, and, and one of the things that, that plays right into that, though, is the vampiric half of, uh, you know, this, this chapter. I, I want to, before I forget, this chapter does a great thing in describing all of the things that Bob is going into, all the history of the Viking era and that, that lifestyle and that world, but also how it relates to vampires in that culture. Because a lot of the books that we've read before, it's almost as if like the vampire aspect is like, it's kind of just tacked on. It's like, oh, here's Jerusalem and all the religions came and it was crazy. 
and also vampires. That's the impression I get from a lot of books. Here's the thing. They they include the vampires here because, again, right. they they take the tight Ironheart. They convince right. them they're these slain warriors that came back like under, under, with Odin's blood. Right. And they're permitted to do it. And some Ironhards are smart and they set themselves up in a small individual community because that's – I don't think I portrayed that correctly, but I just need to understand. The only – what a thing is, mm-hmm. is that's when a local government – and they're not a government. I use that term loosely. Right. They, it's a group of people get together to come discuss what's going on in the area they live in. Right. Any Viking can go live anywhere. An assembly of the people. Right. So they're kind of scattered over these places. And then when they come to a thing, it's discussed locally what they're going to do. What mm-hmm. do you mean? This farm is assaulted in a blood feud. They say it was because of this, that, and the other thing. What does everybody want to do? And they kind of talk about it, what they're going to do, and that's that. And all thing is regional. That's when everybody possible comes piling in to have a say in right. um, in their districts and, and kind of go with it. Now, why why is that important? Well, when you're in Ironheart and you realize if, one fact, you could be a vampire living remotely mm-hmm. away from everyone and control who's here. Like your herd are these warriors, right? right. And some of these farmers. And you just have them out here and you tell them uh, to, you could be under me with a blood tithe. Well, as far as those people are concerned, it's a religious thing. We give a blood tithe to the Ironheart. He promises us strength and protection. And it and it makes sense. Whereas, as you were saying about Jerusalem, you never hear about them. They refer to them as angels. Right. Right. Called them an angel of death because of what they did. And I agree with you. And that's why I think it's cool. Yeah. And they give you things like, um, this is another thing that I think is really cool about this. They give you, as you go through these chapters and you read about like runes and how they apply and, and you know, how, how they function in the culture and society, Food you, you, you also get the vampiric stuff too. You know, like systems, combat. We, <laughs> we've, we've gone on and on and on about fluff. We love fluff books, but... You know, it's like buying a core book and only getting story and going, this is the game. And you're like, where's the rules? I want some some actual substance. There is some actual substance here to show you how your vampiric character might uh, engage in these behaviors, how they might interact and talks about the, the different gods and how those gods apply today today being Dark Ages, and how they applied in the previous era, pre-Christian conversion. I think this chapter I very much like because it mixes all those elements instead of just like, here's 40 pages on the history of Norway, and also there's like vampires, you know? I find it very annoying in, in the other ones. I, I don't want to. I don't want to stand in your way of continuing to explain. Having equipment, having the you know a bit in this chapter about like what equipment applies to these individuals. What stuff they have access to. Um, you know when these things start to change. I wanted to. Uh, you, you mentioned the Blood Eagle. I've heard mm-hmm. of. Uh, I heard a scholarly debate once in class. Uh, I was taking a uh, European history class. And there were two professors who actually came in. Right. And I think one was just passing through. Right. And, and they started talking about the uh, punishments off of, well, I wouldn't say punishment, but the the ending of blood feuds. Uh-huh. Right. What would constitute it? Well, the typical one, as you can understand, well, how does a blood feud start? Nate, I hate you. Yeah, I hate you too. All right. Next time I see you, you better have an axe. <laughs> Whatever. Right. And you leave. And then we go to the longhouse we both share, and you brought an axe, and I brought a sword, and we're about to go at it. Right. Well, we go at it, and I get killed, right? And my right. wife comes to collect me, and my son helps out. My son says, you're a dead man. And you're like, all right, I understand. And then, right, he leaves. Mm-hmm. Well, 
my son marches over to challenge you out in front of your sons, and you're like, I'm busy in the field. Come tomorrow. Okay. So I he chops up your son. <laughs> right? Lays him over. Because in a blood feud, it's whoever you can get to that's personal to you. Right. If he can't get to you directly. Right. And then that goes on. So on and so forth. And then the village gets involved. And your friends get involved. And your family gets involved. And everybody gets involved. Well, eventually, uh, through attrition, one side has to win over another. It's just that simple. Eventually, it all comes to an end. Usually, um, you would go to a, a thing, and folks would talk about it. Right. And as I mean, it's a thing brought up saying, look, it's done. You owe this side whatever it is, and you owe for this restitution, and it's no longer a thing. It's over. No more blood feud, right? They try to do it that way. Right. What if it can't be done that way? Fine. The blood eagle was a way... My my professor went in on it and said, well, the Blood Eagle was a good ending to a feud, right? <laughs> yeah. You would, you would come up and you would grab someone and like, what would you wouldn't just do a Blood Eagle on someone for like some landing fracture or whatever. What? But let's say, <laughs> let's ahead. say I raped your wife in front of your family while you were away raiding, right? And this, and nothing else is said about it, right? It happened. She bears my son because you're gone that long. And you come back thinking you had a son before you left. She tells you the truth. So you don't kill the boy, right? Or do, but I'm assuming don't because you have a soul. And you march over to where I'm at. And you decide, guess what? You you cut the tendons in the back of my leg and drag me in front of the district, in front of everyone. And it, people come out and you want them to witness this. And, you know, someone asks and it's indeed a blood feud. And people knew this was coming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my family comes out and everything and you declare what was done to you and you declare under Odin why vengeance is yours and you declare why honor demands you do something that'll make everyone know that this is to be righted amongst the gods or whatever. And he, he had a better analogy, I think, but I figure this is working. And he lays him out and he cuts the blood eagle in him because he can't do anything about it. It's literally a physical, brutal representation of the savage hatred that this individual has for another right? and trying to get uh, closure. You're trying to get rid of it. So you don't go after this guy's family or continue the feud or whatever it is. And, and that's, that's what it is. Now the vampiric half of this is what truly gets interesting. Honestly, I, I read the description of the blood Eagle in here and like what it is. And basically it's, it's a, and it, there's an artistic rendering of it in, in this book. And it just shows an individual laid out on the ground, ribs busted out and like lungs pulled and, and just like thrown to the side, like wings. And I was like, that's disgusting. However, uh, the description of the blood Eagle under the damage taken is basically the victim are the, if they are vampiric takes five unsoakable aggravated damage. And I was like, Seems a little extreme to me. <laughs> like, see, seems I, I might dial it down a bit for a vampire. That seems a little over the top. I wouldn't. I'd call it a ritual done. I know you wouldn't. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't. Cause, Let cause me tell I, you why. I know it's, not for, it's not for the weak. Right. Not for the weak of heart. Right. If you're going to cut a blood eagle, cut a fucking blood eagle. You know what and I mean? You're here to make fair. a point. That's and who And who doesn't hate when a player jumps up and goes, I spin five blood. Good blood eagle. <laughs> <laughs> right? right you're avoiding it you're saying right. it's going to take you time and you're going to you're going to remember this it's very much uh yeah it's 
if you go by those rules, it's not something for the faint of heart. Uh, you lose five blood, you take five unsoakable aggravated damage, and um, yeah, it basically yank your insides and put them to your outsides. So that's it's pretty fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, Have I mean, you heard uh, of, go, go can ahead. I tell you, can I tell you a fun one that I think is even more brutal? Hmm. So there's a uh, there's there's a Viking penalty. I shouldn't say penalty. Uh, it's like a a test of, of fortitude, literal survivability, hardiness mm-hmm. that you can give to your enemy. I come, we're at war, and my my army wins, right? And I come to your land and your homes, and I see that the people are still there, and it's your women and children, and you know that's that's what's there. Mm-hmm. And sure, all the warriors are detained or dead or whatever, or mm-hmm. I have them captured, and I turn to you and tell you, Nate, I give you one last chance. You can prove you're strong and worthy of mercy. All you have to do is take the walk. And I point at a tree or a standing stone. I've I've heard of this. Yeah. Right? I don't know Where if they, it's true, but I've definitely heard of it. Right? Where they uh, take a, take a what you call it, a, uh, well, I suppose it doesn't matter, like a big nail or whatever, and they stick it to uh, the item, and you cut yourself open. You have to do it. And you have to disembowel yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? You cut the intestine. You have to wrap it around the nail. And you have to take the walk around this post or pole or whatever until all your intestines are out. And if you live through the ordeal, everyone alive is forgiven. They get to retain their land. They get to be where they're at. That's, that's, that's what it is. It's considered they're, they're spared. Or I should say, more likely than not, more truer to form, that guy's family, relatives, and warband right. Right. are spared. Not everyone else. Because they need spoils as well. Otherwise, what was the point of the war? Right. And that one... I heard of in a class. Uh, yeah, I'm so, not, I don't know what it's called. I've heard of that one too. I don't. I don't know. I don't actually know if it's Viking or not, but it sounds it sounds particularly Viking. So, um, alleged one gave it to another, but we won't get an X. It's not in this book. But uh, that's a. Uh, I mean, I'm just saying. Like the Blood Eagle was one. I heard of that one directly, mm-hmm. and that's that's a fun one, right? But uh, why is all this done? You're dealing with a society of warriors. You're dealing with a society of people who have a sense of honor that will take it to the hilt. Where to do nothing means weakness. Right. Right? And so they have to do something. And a lot of times, you to get closure is is very much not not PG-13. It's kind of uh, exemplified as well in, like, the opening story, in the fiction, in the, like, in the precursor to the chapter, you know, where, like, the, uh, you know, the, the guy and his... his uh, um, his house, Carl, I'm going to call him, um, get on the boat and they're looking for his daughter. And, you know, the, all the, all the, uh, Einherjur are, uh, in the cave and all that stuff. And, um, you know, he's like, he's like, damn you and your weakness, we, in your strategies, we just go forth and, and be brave. And then everybody goes forth and gets murdered except for the, the house, Carl. Um, sorry, I'm being very Skyrim in my pronunciation of that. Um, and you know he ends up throwing all the fiery logs down there. It's like the braver bravery is is what's rewarded. Um, you know, looking danger in the face and, and moving forward without fear. Um, but also, there needs to be some degree of smarts because if you're just running full length, you know you're you're going to end up screwing yourself. But anyways, that's a uh, that's you know part of that chapter. Go ahead and read that. But uh, second chapter talks about that culture that culture piece of of the vampires themselves not just of like the vikings because we kind of already talked about that um this gives you a little bit more in depth into 
um, function and survival and also like the clans. Um, and I like how in here where they talk about the clans, there's some where they're just like, nah, that's not a thing. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. I was my, my favorite part about the culture was the sex piece <laughs> or like Viking sex and in quotations as often as possible. Best describes the Norse attitude towards sex. <laughs> right. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> where, you know, sedu- well, cause I mean, can we admit that if you're these, these muscle bound running forth, sack and raiding, whatever people think about it, they're gone. Your husband or wife is gone for like a year when they return you're ready to spend some quality time. Well, and, right? and beyond that, I mean, if you live in a harsh environment and this is, this is exemplified in, you know, any kind of era where exploration is a thing like uh, frontier America. Like if you live in an area and an era where living is hard, that means you're going to have less of a survival rate, which means you need to have more children right now. It, it does mean that, in healthy cultures, <laughs> right. right? Why do I say that? Christianity suppresses way too much on a lot of it, which, you know what I mean? There's, there's embarrassment sure. in, the, in the history. It shows it. And uh, that's why I think they were so angry when they went exploring. <laughs> that, that's my whole thing, right? It's again, heathens. Right. You, right. Your women are naked. Your men are scantily clothed. Kill them all. I, I can't. Right. We've we got to get married. It's the only way to. And also, uh, also in this chapter, they do give you some tips and tricks and hints for storytelling in the High North. And they kind of even touch on what we talked about earlier, right? Anybody can go do some, some research about, you know, the Scandinavian culture and tell a decent story. But it takes a little bit more and knowing kind of like the vampiric portion of it and how all of those, you know, puzzles, uh, all those pieces to the puzzle fill out the full picture. And they give you some some ideas for like here's here's a Kickstarter here's how you can get started telling your story in the Norse culture, which is is pretty kick ass in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another cool side side note, and we mentioned religion at least I did earlier, and Christianity tricked Norse right into uh, like kind of converting. They played in the pragmatism of the people, right? right? And that's that's what they did. These these were no nonsense people. We do what works. Right. right, that's that's straight up what their whole philosophy is. Now, um, when it comes to uh, temples to Woden, for instance, um, I segue, I was reading and looking stuff up as I was here. An interesting uh, factoid, if you will, was that every church of Woden, uh, they say, now has a, a statue to Michael, mm-hmm. the archangel, slaying a dragon. And the trickery here is that before the language was well known, they convinced that Michael the archangel is, is the prince of angels. He's, he's the badass when it comes to him. He's protector and blah, blah, blah. And what he does is he slays the serpent, which they call Lucifer. Right. Right. However, the Vikings, that's Jormung, I can't pronounce it, the Midgard serpent. Mm-hmm. Right. And they were like, Midgard serpent? And he was like, yeah, totally. Michael just hmm, puts a spear right in that sucker. And that's what it is. Well, well Woden doesn't do that. Like what the Midgard serpent does something completely different. Right. Like, would swallow the world and renew it, and we stop it? I don't understand. Yours just, boop, with a spear, it's done? Yeah. All right, keep him here. <laughs> right? And I was like, eh, interesting. That's right. that's one way to look at it, and that's that's kind of how they did the conversion. Yeah. Like, just walking around telling them and they, lies. They, they, <laughs> they do, they do uh, I mean, that's the historically accurate of um, most cultures. It's taking the gods and beliefs of the, cur- of the, the people and sort of 
showing them like, hey, we're just sort of like the new version and these this is why this one's better conversion is almost always out you know so uh definitely you know also they they go into here how the views of the viking people and their belief in their gods is very different than the belief in the, the like the christian gods right like you don't necessarily you don't worship those gods those gods sort of just exist and you're you, you know you, everyone is susceptible to the whims of fate and not even the gods can change it. And so it's not the same type of worship. It's like these gods exist in this world, but we don't really like worship them in the same way. So that that's, that's very cool too. And again, this is all stuff that, you know, for me, I, I have a very cursory understanding of this culture. And so reading through this book and getting a better understanding of it, um, I feel like I am a prime consumer of this book because if I want to run a Viking game, like I don't know shit, I need that foundation. And this, I think does a, an excellent job of that. There's, there's an absolute uh, difference in, in, in the worship, like you said, and I just want to say, cause I heard this from someone, uh, and it was, again, it was in class and it made a lot more sense for me. It was understanding that there's a difference between you having to go to a church and convince yourself that what exists in this book is real mm-hmm. and being brought up in a culture that this is an absolute, right? Whenever it thunders, that's Thor. Whenever, you know, uh, a raven scene, Odin's eye is upon you. Pay attention to omens because this is that. When you grow up in that, it just the, is the way it is. Right. Right? And that's where it's stronger belief because it's an absolute. Like right. you said, right. it's considered as every day. Right. But it's it's the same thing as like, you know, wrapping the superstitions into religion. You know, Christmas is a great example. You know, like, what the hell does a tree and you know, Garland and all that have to do with the birth of Christ. Well, you know, history being what it is, you know, holidays come from somewhere. Um, Same thing with, you know, like your Halloween and stuff like that. But anyways, that's not really a part of this book, um, vaguely. But uh, we are still talking about Dark Ages. But what else does this book have? Um, A big chunk of new stuff, at least new for the Dark Ages. Um, abilities and backgrounds and like rune lore. That's not something I ever knew about existing. Here you go. So a ton of cool abilities that make this concept very unique. And then those disciplines you were talking about. This this one, I think you know which one I'm talking about, this Fenrir's Talons one. I was like, Jesus, what is happening? Yeah, yeah but they ruined it in V20 Dark Ages book. Basically, that's what you get with your wolf claws. Yeah, yeah. Like, like combined, it makes sense. Right. Right. I have to go learn a combo discipline to learn how to cut open something with steel. Don't I have the wolf's... Don't I have Fenris talons? Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Um, nah, I remember this being a huge point of contention. It does one more die of ag than normal claws, and um, mm-hmm. that's that's a big thing, right? Strength plus three ag is, is huge. Yeah. And uh, it goes with your potence, and it cuts through steel, and you can deflect weapons. All sorts of insane things you can do with it. It's like, yeah, kick ass. And they're like, yeah, give them basically the same thing. Right. And right. V20, just, who wouldn't want that, right? Right. Right. Um, and then uh, the, there's two roads in here. So that's very cool as well. And then, uh, you know, a bunch of merits and flaws, which we don't need to go over merits and flaws. Although there were a couple I was a little iffy on. Um, I'd love to get your opinion on them. Um, not a big fan of the rune wise or lupine kinship merit. 
So RuneWise, it basically gives you a, a power. You can learn a power out of the Sorcerer's Handbook. And it's it's like magic, right? Using runes and reading runes and all that. But like, it you you number one, it's a mortal power. There's no reason I think a vampire should have access to it. But then it specifically states like you don't know thaumaturgy doesn't give you any of this other stuff. So I was kind of like, eh, I'm all right on that. Um, and then just the 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 werewolf one. Anything that gives you like a werewolf buddy, I'm I'm all set on. I don't. I'm not really interested in that. If there was anyone that should have werewolf ties, it should be Vikings. Yeah, and that I can agree with. They they have an entire tribe dedicated to their principles, right? The Geta Fenris, right? And that is absolutely something they get behind. It's Fenris number one. Uh, the the lores match. They match up. You kinfolk could be Vikings. You wouldn't know. You just wouldn't know. And it's quite possibly they could occupy the same place. And th- they may be the vampires the Get don't care about. Right, right. right? That, yeah, they're there. What are they? No, those are Ironheart. Those aren't vampires. It's different. Right, right. Well, why? Because we say so. And <laughs> should, you have a, should you have a Get game that includes one or two? Eh, maybe. Right. You can make that work a lot better than, oh, let's say I'm a... Uh, I'm a Black Fury, and I'm going to have me one of these one of these Ironheart people follow me around. I, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> it's, it's not going to work. Hence why it's in this book, though. Right. Take a lupine buddy, have fun. That's cool. Go a Viking together. I don't, I don't really see that much of an issue when the cultures right. match. Right. Uh, Rune wise, uh, what I could say to that is it's a it's the ever it's the old school method of trying to diversify. Right. How do we make someone unique from an area to uphold the culture? By the way, that's all the Dark Ages is about, is culture pieces. People come from different parts of the world. And so when you have these vampire clans revisited, that's why there's such differences. Right. You shouldn't have the exact same read as you do in your modern book. Otherwise, what was the point of writing the Dark Ages? So whenever I see Rune-wise, you know, looking at this, I always shrug my shoulder shoulders because it's like i i would never take it as a player uh i've never had in any game i've ever ran or played i've never heard anybody ask to have it and i've never had anybody ask me if they could use it so you know i, I have i have and i let them and it affected nothing it, but it's the truth if you don't if you don't have a bunch of people running around with some of these sorcerers powers and one guy can occasionally roll throw some futhark down and mark us something and it's a shield or heal a mortal right great so you can heal your ghouls not you. And occasionally you can get some insight if you see the... F- okay, how about this? Oracular ability used through the stones. Right. You cast the stones, we'll give you a roll for that merit. And we just got rid of it. I mean, it's right. it depends on how you want to slice it. Out of here, though, it's book's dated. And, and to be fair, uh, it is only the first time I've ever even heard of it. Right. I like legitimately I've I've never read the Sorcerer's book. No, that's not true. I read the Sorcerer's book like in 2000, 2001, and I have I have no recollection of it. I read it about the same time I read the bygone bestiary, which is also mentioned in this book. So I have no recollection. I have no clue, like some obscure rune power somewhere in some book. Anytime there's like a you can have this out of this other book that you wouldn't normally use. I'm, I'm always a little iffy about it. What I find weird is that mm-hmm. you didn't say True Berserk. You didn't have a problem with it. No, no. I actually liked that one. I I found it to be not super ridiculous and consistent with the culture. Adding two dice to your strength, mm-hmm. add one die to your stamina, and gain three Bruce health levels. Is it broken to you because some guy can 
get into a berserk trance? Oh, no, no, no. I totally think it's broken. Yeah, it's absolutely broken. I just, I liked it. <laughs> How can you explain the things that you like and you don't like? You read it and you go, oh, that's cool. And then you read something else and you're like, meh. So hey, I have no you're, justification. You're fine. I just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's for me. I've seen it taken right. and I've seen it played and I've seen the justifications. I just never agreed with them because they would eat, uh, like they would eat psychedelics. But, right, and go but, into that too. Or if you're a vampire and you're dead, where's the adrenaline coming from well, here's to my, get you into that? Here, here's my justification, Bob. Um, these these uh, these these vampires don't believe in Cain, so they can't be Cain bros. They're Fenris <laughs> missiles. Yeah, there, there you go. There you go. They're Fenris missiles. Yep. It's there. Now, I, I understand that I could be too technical with it, but to me, I wanted to see the smarter culture piece woven in because the first thing that comes into my head, horrid form. Right, right, for sure. Gives you similar stats. For sure. Merit-wise, you know, whatever. It's one of those things where I'm like, great, somebody's, somebody's going to want to play a Viking character, and they're going to want to play a Berserker, and all right, they can have some traits. Cool, no big deal. It's not going not gonna to ruin my game, but it is a broken merit. Until they ruin your game. Yeah. Just, <laughs> we're all starting out, and I have a mini Kronos. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Fair enough. I had not thought of it like that, yes. <laughs> Well, I'll just remember that when you're like, hey, Nate, can I take Berserker? <laughs> I will never do that to you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> or or anybody for that very reason. Like, hmm. Play no, an old school Dark Ages game? The next chapter here um, gives you some systems about um, sur- s- sort of survival and running this kind of chronicle. It's, all, it's like the storyteller section. It's like, how do you make boats happen? The, we're not going to go into that overly long. <laughs> Um, but it's here. Right, it's here. Right. It's definitely here. So I've been kind of a small little secret. I've been kind of waiting for that one book to really pop out at me. Before we got into this portion of our podcast, I, I, I'd read a little bit of Dark Ages, but I wasn't super interested in it. And, you know, it's because I'm not super into the era. But reading this book, this this book has really captured my attention. And I find it very inspirational and it makes me want to run something using this because it's different enough that I think it could be really fun to tell a story that's not necessarily historically accurate, but that takes place sort of in this era, um, you know, during the Viking age or after, you know, during the era after they've been converted. So can I, can I give you a bit of advice? Really? Everybody this is being recorded. Yes. Don't ever run a historically accurate vampire game. Right. No, I, I agree with you. But that's the thing that I get caught up in, right? That's the nervousness. And I'm sure I'm not the only storyteller who's ever had this. That apprehension of like, I need to have everything right. And I'll tell you from my experience, you don't. You don't need to. You just need to run a fun game. That makes sense. You know, if you're like, oh, here's a Back to the Future car, you're going to not necessarily, you know, engender people to be playing your game. There's a few people with a historical degree or whatever that are going to be like, well, actually, this happened. You may have to deal with that. Um, But I don't. I I don't ever. (laughs) Like, I don't care. Like, I'm playing. Vampires aren't real, buddy. So it's great that (laughs) Charlemagne did this in exact. Because Bob's terrible with dates. I've had professors who simply forgave me. About the dates because I got everything else. Because I hate men. And in 1493, Freddy sailed across the sea. That's what I know because it's from a horror film. Okay? 
So that's, I mean, and other important dates kind of pop up in my head occasionally. For the most part, I have to literally thank God for the internet because I could look at that date and then I read a line of where I'm at and boom, yeah. I know what I'm dealing with. But before, like if I'm in a game, yeah, I'd be right. shocked if you ever had to care about the historical accuracy of something because most players and running a Dark Ages game now, especially in Dark Ages 20, they are nervous about the era. Right. They're dead nervous about the era, like just walking around and they're a lord and the noble. And should I bow? Should I not? No, I, I think I think that that's something that I've really come to understand recently with the Dark Ages. You know, it was a big roadblock for me because I felt like I don't know enough about history to run something that's entertaining. And I just feel like some a book like this that gives you all the information that you need to know and you don't have to worry about every like courtly order and which napkin to use when, and you know, all of that stuff. This basically gives you everything you need to run the opposite side of that coin, right? I want to run, you know, I want to play these Viking characters that, you know, wash up on the shore and go marauding, or I want to use them as sort of the enemy, you know, the last vestiges of, of, you know, civility, you know, being overrun. To me, yeah. this this book really presents something that inspires me as a storyteller to where I'm I'm going, oh wow, okay, I can do this. I can run a Dark Ages game. I would love to run this book in one fashion and one fashion only, because to me it's it's deeper. It's what to do when you have farmland is no longer producing food. Right. And and you're here and you're trying to convince a Viking lord to take you and your three sons or whoever's with you on board to go a Viking this season. And you need it to stay alive. That to me paints a bigger picture of ownership. And then if I get washed ashore somewhere or whatever, we deal with the hardships. Let's see if we can hold the religion culture piece. Let's see if we can hold uh, what it means to have a sense of honor and not go home empty handed. You know, all this, all that piles into it. Right. 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 I I just, uh, personally, my like final word on, on this book is, I think that this book is, it really shows an exceptional amount of research and education into this to the point where it's spurred me on to look more into it, but it's also inspired me to want to run a game. And I think that that's the point. You know, it shows that this company at this time, they've been doing this thing for a while. They kind of understand now what it is that they're producing. I, I see it like kind of White Wolf at the top of their game, making solid material that is just sort of doesn't have a lot of bullshit to distract you. It's not filler. It, everything in here seems useful. Yeah. Um, I can also tell you right here that, uh, you know, look in the special things column for people who helped out and were a part of it, too. Uh, the writers are awesome as well. Uh, those who uh, got into it, I can't I can't say enough. I appreciate any writing when it's to the point and still holds. Yeah, what it was, what it was meant to do. They do that throughout this book. Yeah, um, I, I condemn the Berserker Merit, though. That's the only thing. It's <laughs> the only thing. Hey, you know, to each their own. You know, use it in your game or don't. <laughs> it's like anything else. You know, uh, honestly, I think a lot of this stuff. If you're running like a more um, current version of this game, some of the stuff is not gonna, you know, like the paths you're, you're probably going to have to update for a more modern version of dark ages, but, uh, those I hadn't seen either. So I'm super psyched about those because that they're, they're different. They're something new that's unique to the culture. So I won't, I won't go overly long, but you know, I just wanted to add that. 
And there's a point because I was thinking of it in my head the entire time. I'm not certain this book would have got made in modern times uh, with the sensitivity of everyone involved because it's allowing you to play a culture that that did do. Uh, they, they raped and pillaged. That is that is essentially where the term is because of how they view thralls, because of how they felt about dominating people, uh, the nine, whatever reason, that's, that's what it is. Now, spoiler, um, most cultures have done that throughout history. Yeah. Um, they're not, they're not unique to it by a sight and, and whatnot, but definitely there is some glorification in here and I do it as a warning. Yeah. Um, if you're hearing this and you're like, oh, I got the book cause of you guys and oh, some of the imagery, some of the stories, it was all too much. Yeah. They're Vikings. Yeah. And um, it, it does have a little bit of like in the artwork, some of that, you know, cane bro kind of, you know, stuff going on in it, but you know, it's not a perfect book. Was the entire, is all Scandinavia, Norway, Sweden, Iceland, are they all Vikings? No. 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 And it doesn't say right. that they are. It, it, I, right. I feel like it paints the culture fairly. I want everyone to know that. Now, we are talking about Viking culture. We are not talking about the people of Scandinavia as a whole. Right. Okay. So this is a portion. Right. Right. All right. Well, hey. Good book. I think, uh, you know, solid four out of five personally. I, you know, I don't think it's a perfect book, I, but I think it's a really good book. And, you know, I'm glad that I own it. So uh, and you can still get it on drive through RPG, both in PDF and print on demand. So uh, use our link on our website to get that book and help us out. That would be awesome. And when you read this book, might I recommend you wading into the moon pool and enjoying <laughs> it there? Uh, that is a, that is a better place to do it. So um, next week, Bob and I will be reviewing Canite Heresy, and I will be traveling to Bob, so we will be recording in the same room, which will be amazing and fun. I will do my damnedest not to bring up the actual heresies that were around this time, in addition to the Canite Heresy, because it's probably going to extend into a lecture, and uh, nobody likes that. Well, you know, when I'm at your house, we've got nothing but time, so, you know... Let's not let's not threaten. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we'll be back. We'll be back next week. Uh, podcast might be out a little bit later in the day because I will be sort of editing off site. But uh, yeah, you should still get it same day, uh, which would be cool. All right. Um, thank you, folks, for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for listening to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you like our podcast and you'd like to help support our show, consider backing us at patreon.com forward slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. We offer reward tiers of additional Patreon-only podcasts, t-shirts, and personalized gaming experiences. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and go to our website, utilitymuffinlabs.com, for links to all of our social media, additional podcasts, and more. If you'd like to chat with us, submit a title for review, promote your gaming-related stuff or anything else you can think of email me at nathan at utilitymuffinlabs.com utility muffin labs consistently rated adequate